0: Hi, I'm Dan, I'm a photographer, father and husband, and this is the Booze Break Podcast. This is the show for people like me who find themselves stuck in a loop of drinking more often and in more quantity than they'd like. You're welcome to follow me on my journey to change my relationship with booze and explore ways in which to live a more productive, healthy, fulfilling and alcohol-free lifestyle. Welcome to the Booze Break Podcast. Podcast is a diary of my journey, taking a break from alcohol, as well as looking into different ways to help sustain a break from the booze. We'll be going into the ups and downs as I circumnavigate my way through work, family life and social situations without the hooch. I'll be delving into the benefits of living booze free and tackling subjects such as uh, social pressure, health, identity and alcohol representation in the media. Just a quick warning, there's likely to be some choice language and adult themes peppered throughout this series, so if you're easily offended or have children within earshot, you've been forewarned. Full disclaimer up front, I'm not an expert in any of these fields. My opinions are purely based on my own experiences and a little research. I also want to make it clear that I do not judge anyone based on their relationship with alcohol. Do what you want, drink what you want. But if you're like me and want to change your relationship with booze, whether that be to stop completely, uh, take a break, or just cut down, you're welcome here. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Booze Break Podcast. How are we doing? Uh, I want to hear from you. Uh, has the podcast helped in any way uh, during your booze break? What actions have you utilised from these episodes that have helped you the most? Uh, you can get in touch on Instagram and Facebook, both of which are at Booze Break Podcast, or you can get in touch via the website which is boozebreakpodcast.com. Leave me a comment on an episode or send me an email via the contact page. I would love to hear from you. It's a big day for me because I've hit my original goal of 90 days booze free. I'm pumped. Uh, I signed up for One Year No Beer and took on their 90 day challenge. Uh, And with their support and guidance and the help of the massive community uh, in their closed Facebook group, I've smashed that goal. I feel amazing. Who knew that abstaining from alcohol for three months would have such a positive and life-changing effect? I feel so much healthier, well-rested, Enthusiastic and emotionally stable. The destructive and unhealthy things I used to enjoy as a drinker are no longer a part of my life. And they've been replaced uh, with development, learning, exercise, progressing in my career, and most importantly for me, dedicated and 100% present time with my wife and daughter. There's no sugarcoating it. I'm a better dad without alcohol in my life. But I'm not stopping there. I'm not ready to give up these incredible changes to my world, so the show must go on. And I'll be taking you along with me as I continue to navigate this amazing life sans alcohol. On a different note, I was asked to do a talk as part of a panel for the Mindful Drinking Festival hosted by Club Soda. Uh, If you've not heard of Club Soda, they're an incredible, amazing community and resource for people looking to have a healthier relationship with alcohol. Uh, I'll definitely leave a, a link to those guys in the show notes. So you can go check those guys out. So this panel was hosted by Martin Todd, who's the chief editor of Men's Health Forum, I believe. Uh, and there would, there was myself and four other guests who comprised of uh, Ruri, who's the co-founder of One Year No Beer. And, and you may remember he was on uh, a previous episode of the Booze Break podcast. Uh, amazing guy. Um, there was Shay Boland, who um, is a coach for men um, and has been through addiction in the past. I think a lot of his coaching is sort of around addiction and uh, he's an amazing guy. He's got a, a crazy following on Instagram. So please go check him out as well. Um, there's also Tony Moss, who's a professor of addictive behavior. And I'm desperate to speak to him again because he was really, really interesting. He got some really good insight into uh, specifically Um, like inequality within, you know, addiction and, 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 you know, the support that you can achieve. So really, really interesting guy. Uh, And there was Anit Chatrath, who's a member of Clip Soda and he's been booze free for several years. He got a really fascinating story as well. So I felt massively out of my depth being on this panel of incredible individuals, Um, but it was an amazing experience uh, to be part of. And I'm very grateful that they asked me. Um, Anyway, our panel was about um, men drinking mindfully, essentially, specifically men. Uh, And there was a a topic that came up uh, that we ran out of time to discuss in greater detail. So I wanted to comment on it here. So for a lot of people Um, and I think men especially, we feel invincible in our early years. Uh, You know, through your teens, 20s and even 30s, we feel untouchable and don't um, give much thought to how we're looking after our bodies. I know I felt this way for sure. Uh, You'd see people in their 40s and their 50s and uh, with these kind of uh, health problems, such as like things like heart disease, liver problems, even cancer. Uh, and I think I don't have to worry about that for a while. Like it's, you know, it's not something I need to deal with right now. But actually it's the things that we do in our earlier years, um, you know, in, in our 20s and our 30s and our teens even, um, that often create these problems later in life. And that's not something that's really discussed, or, or at least it's not something most of us dwell on. It's not in our minds, you know, the fact that we're, the, the damage that we're doing to our bodies in our 20s and 30s through drinking and drug abuse um, will have to be dealt with at some point. Uh, and for me, this came earlier, um, you know, listeners of the podcast will, will know that I was diagnosed with a fatty liver and gout, uh, as a result of alcohol and poor lifestyle choices at the age of 30. And I, I was probably actually, you know, um, I probably had this stuff more into, you know, my, my late twenties, really. I was just, I, I had the diagnosis at 30. Um, so this kind of shit can catch up with you sooner than you think. Um, And that idea of being invincible was quashed pretty early for me. And, and now I'm paying the price, you know? Um I, I mean, I'm fine. It's just something that I've got to deal with. And I, I don't mean for this to sound preachy at all. And every individual situation will be different. But I thought it was something that was worth mentioning for sure. You know, we're not, Invincible. You know, longevity is the key. I want to live forever, ideally. Anyway, so my guest for this week's uh, show is uh, Scott Hardiman. He's a coach that specializes in building confidence. Scott tells me about his uh, journey of being alcohol free. We talk about Scott's past. history battling anxiety for over five years and how this affected his perception of drinking. We broach the subject of anxiety and confidence and how we can tackle anxious thoughts and build confidence without the need to self-medicate through alcohol. Scott explains and demonstrates that being more present and mindful can help alleviate anxious thoughts. We talk about my crippling fear of holiday entertainment teams and he teaches me how to question my negative self-talk. I'm really excited to share this interview with you with Scott. So, Let's get to it. All right, Scott. Thank you so much for being on the Booze Break podcast. How are you today? I'm doing good. I'm doing good, man. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you very much, Scott. You are the first person I think, and and feel free. uh, People in the in the comments can let me know if anyone else has has done this, but you are the first person to ask me how I am. There we Uh, go. Which is amazing. You know, (laughs) I'm always like, I'm fine, thanks. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah i know right but yeah, it's boring. i think we need to I, I i get that a lot actually as a coach you know, i go well, how are you doing and they go yeah i'm good
0: that's it yeah Silence. Like, i'm fine i'm fine by the way yeah. <laughs> it's not i mean it's not about me so i'll let them off yeah but, of course uh, yeah, yeah yeah i appreciate that mate thank you very much no worries so before we go on to talk about the topics that we've um that we're going to discuss today i'd love a little intro into yourself just background, who you are, what you do, um, you know, in terms of career, but just a little bit about yourself would be amazing.
1: Yeah, cool. So as you said, I'm Scott, I'm a coach. I am a confidence coach rather than just a a coach. You've got life coach, anxiety coach, all of these different aspects to it. But my speciality, if you want to call it that, is confidence coach. So um, I help professionals excel essentially by breaking through the barriers that they've got whether they've had them for years whether they've had them more recently and just take their confidence to the next level
0: really that's great that's me yeah and i the for the most part you're dealing with professionals people in industries and things like that
1: yeah most of the i mean again i don't it's not just professionals that i help but that's the avenue that I've gone down that's the avenue that I work with at the moment but I have lots of different types of people that I help you know and it's um I, I, I don't just say I help one type of person if someone needs my help then of course I'll help them um but with the industry that I'm in it's very much you have a, a set type of person that you try and gear towards and if it goes out of that then that's absolutely fine as well.
0: The reason why I say that is because I think, you know, my experience of coaching, and and I've had no um, primary experience of coaching, um, apart from business coaches, um, Mm. uh, you know, and I've I've had those in the past. um, But the people that I've spoken to in, in a similar area, they tend to find that um, you know they're they're having this kind of coaching because they want to take their business to the next level and stuff. But that's not necessarily the case. You can have coaching for for anything, I guess.
1: Absolutely, yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm. And a lot of you know people will have business coaches, but they'll also have confidence coaches because their business coaches are specifically designed to help them boost their business. They may touch on that mental health side of things. But a confidence coach has different specialities, different areas in which they can work on, and often people have two types of coaches rather than just just one.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's nice that yours can, um, you know, it's more holistic in that respect. Mm. The, the way the, the what you do can help everything. Yeah. You know, whether it, whether it be business, whether it be social life, pressure, anxiety, things like that. Yeah. That's cool. So. Um, can uh, i like to ask this question uh, because i'm always fascinated by it can you tell me your first memory of drinking or being drunk
1: uh, yeah have you got one? yeah i have uh, it, <laughs> it was actually the the earliest one that i can remember was with my mum and mm. one of my best mates so we were we were young i wasn't i was I think i was just i was about 17 18 and you get to that age and you think oh mm. You know, I want to step into that world now. It probably happens yeah. before that, to be honest. You really want to kind of get into that environment because you see it out there everywhere. And I wanted to get a taste. My mum knew that she liked to drink as well back then, and decided that I needed to be with her to enable me to do it. And I had a, a friend with me as well. And it, all I can remember really is that it was it was pretty messy. <laughs> as a as a young young lad, it um, I don't remember a great deal of detail, but. I knew that myself and my friend my mate obviously thought we were more capable than we actually were
2: and uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah it was an, it was an experience and I'm glad I I did it in the if you could call it safety of your own home because you had you had we had that someone there that knew what it was like. We had that support network, if you want to call it that. And
0: I, I, yeah. I quite like the vision of you getting levered with your mum. I yeah. think that's great. Yeah, and, and levered is
1: <laughs> probably the right word to be honest. For, 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 for a young lad, it was um, it was an experience. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Can you paint a picture of your drinking career after that? You know, what was your you know what kind of drinker were you?
1: Well, from 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 eighteen, you know, you're allowed to you're allowed to go out legally and do what you need to do. And probably a little younger, to be honest, I always tried to get in bars and pubs. If, if you can, you try and get in. Of course you do. And yeah, my age, I'm you know, 32 now, so at, at 17, 18, it was the bouncers would sometimes turn and eye, sometimes they wouldn't. Um, but as with a lot of that age, hangovers weren't that bad, really, were really. they? Um, when, yeah. you, when you're young, you get over it really quickly. So often I would... I would go out from Thursday through to, to Sunday and have a very, very good time. That was my... That, if I could paint a picture for anyone, it was Thursday night all the way through to Sunday. Yeah. I, I'm, and I wouldn't... I've it wouldn't be day. messy, messy yeah, all the time. It would just be a consistent level of drinking at that age. Sure. I think a lot of, a lot of kids do. Um, a lot of young adults do that.
0: And that... And that um sort of carried on until you know later on into your life similar kind of process you didn't you weren't necessarily like a problem drinker it didn't become a habitual thing or anything like that you were more of a kind of social out of the weekends and and, and late week type scenario
1: yeah for sure i wouldn't i wouldn't say that i was a, a, a during the week kind of drinker um the, the weekend was that you know it's the weekend we would go out and have fun and it got to you know you get to a certain point and then if you didn't have a drink on a weekend you felt you felt pretty lo- lousy, actually.
0: Yeah, you'd be twiddling your thumbs, uh, wouldn't you?
1: You would, yeah. So yeah, I was never a drinker in the week, apart from Thursday yeah. and, and Friday. And <laughs> <laughs> Friday, half, half, yeah, half the week, yeah, half the week, yeah, weekends more.
0: That's cool, yeah, and and that's why I'm seeing a lot in a lot of the people who, you know, are, are deciding to to take a brew, booze break is is it's not necessarily about you know having an issue with alcohol or, you know, be, 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 in a really, really bad way, it's it's about like for, for a lot of people, it's just about getting that productivity, getting that energy back, you know, they're missing, you know, if you're going th- Thursday to Sunday, it's like four days, mm-hmm. four days of not quite being on it, not quite 100%, you know, and that has a knock on effect if you're going through to, you know, if, you, if you're if you finishing, you know, if you're having a few pints on a Sunday, you know, you've had a skin full on a Saturday night as well, um, Monday and Tuesday, potentially Wednesday, are still going to be affected, aren't they? You know, you're not, you're not, going to be, not going to be working at 100% capacity because you're still kind of shaking it off from the weekend, especially when you get to our age when mm-hmm. we do start to suffer a little bit more from the, the effects, the withdrawal from alcohol and the, the hangovers because, like you said, you can't, uh, you can't shake it off as easy as when you're 19. You,
1: you know? can't, yeah, I know, you cannot. Most definitely not. And uh, it's, uh, it, it does take an effect as you get older because you're right. Sunday, you think, oh, I'll recover. No, it doesn't happen. It goes Tuesday. Tuesday, you maybe start to wake up a bit. It's mm-hmm. kind of I, I remember when I was drinking quite a bit, it would be like this. You get to Tuesday, middle of Tuesday, the fog would just start to lift and you start to think, oh, okay, wow, I'm back in the room. Yeah. Whereas before that, you just plod along in a bit of a
0: haze. Yeah, Monday's a bit of a write-off um, mm. in terms of productivity and, and work and, and stuff like that. Mm. And Especially when you're self-employed, that's not where you want to be, ideally, you know? No, for sure. A question that I've um, started to enjoy asking is, what do you think you got from alcohol? You know, what were the benefits? What were the perceived benefits, do you think?
1: Uh, for, for me, the social aspect, mm-hmm.
0: 100%. Did you struggle to, um, you know, socialize? Did you feel more comfortable when you got a drink in your hand or that, you know, rather than without?
1: Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there. I was never confident when I was younger. Mm-hmm. The, the, having a drink had that, but whether it was, of course it was psychological, a lot of it, but you, you, you feel more social, you feel more confident in yourself, you go with the flow more, don't overthink. And that was, that was, that was massive for me. So the benefit of doing that, drinking alcohol, especially at a young age, you know, you think you're, you're cool, you can handle it. You think you're macho in many ways, especially as a, as a guy. Um, Yeah. The benefit for me massively was was social, social impact.
0: It's a funny one, isn't it? You know, because the reason why I ask, I like asking that question is because, I think for a lot of people they don't really know. It just it just became a thing, you know? Eventually it starts to have an effect on let's say your social skills and stuff. Uh, but I think once you get past a certain point, you don't mindfully think about what you're getting from alcohol in terms of the perceived benefits. And it's something that I've I I'd like to look in, into more in the future, but that just this thing of you know why are we drinking why why are we having a pint on a saturday night is it just because that's the thing that we do you know is is it are you craving in, um, you know the the need to be able to socialize easier or is it just something that comes as a byproduct of having that habitual saturday night friday night going out for a few pints and it's just a byproduct of it um you know i, I wonder whether there's anybody out there that does go I need to drink to be social or whether it's just a mm. byproduct of it. I'm sure there, there are people that are on both sides of the fence on that. But I think for me, especially earlier on in my drinking career, um, I wasn't thinking really mindfully about why I was drinking. It was, it was just something that you did, you know, and it mm. just spiraled from there essentially, you know, you go to university. What do you do? You go get pissed most nights, you know, mm-hmm. pound a pint on a Tuesday. Um, you don't know why, for the crack, for the socialising, but then could we have socialised without alcohol? I never tried it, to be honest, apart from at lessons. Mm. Um, You know, it's just one of those things that you did and then you come out of university and you go, okay, I'll I'll carry on. I'll carry on doing what I was doing before, apart from now, maybe I don't go out on a Tuesday. Maybe I have a glass of wine at home.
1: For me, a lot of, we had, my my friends, my mates, we had a very close relationship. There were about five of us. And we'd often go into a pub We knew each other so well and it would happen that we'd sit down, we'd get our first drink there'd be no conversation. yeah. And you'd be, you know, because you get to that point thinking, well, I need at least three or four drinks before I start to loosen up. And then the chat starts to go and then you really enjoy it. So from that point of view, the, the social aspect, although we were really, really close and we actually loved each other, to really get the night going, you'd need sort of three or four drinks in you. Yeah, it's, it's a strange one, isn't it?
0: But, I, yeah. d- I just, I'd, I'd like, I'd like some of my listeners, all of my listeners, you know, who who aren't currently on a, you know, taking a break from alcohol. They're not on a booze break if they can, the next time they, they do pick up a drink to really consider why they're doing it and what they're, what they feel like they're getting from it. Um, I think that'd be an interesting experiment, you know, so if, feel free, feel free. If anybody does this to drop it in the, um, in the comments, send me a DM. I'd be really, really interested. I'm sure I'll, I'll post a, a question up, you know, asking this um, because I bet a lot of the questions, I, I bet a lot of the answers are... Um, almost like pre-rehearsed answers. I I do it because I, it loosens me up. I I do it because it, it de-stresses me. But is that why you started? I'm always interested in that as well. Is that why you started drinking in in that particular scenario, or is that just a byproduct that you got used to, and then enjoyed it? You know, I, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that, but. I think it's a really, really interesting thing for people to really start to consider their use of alcohol is to first think about why are you doing it in the first place? And, it, and is it actually really benefiting those things that, you know, you feel, feel like it is? Um, yeah, I
1: think culture, culture, what you, where you grow up, who you're around, the people around you, do they do it? In the news, you know, I remember being 18 and it was, you know, I'm 18 i can go out and have a drink why because it was everywhere everyone was shouting that yeah (laughs) so it's it's that culture i think that we live in that starts it you like the taste
0: i wonder what percentage of 18 year olds on their birthday didn't have a drink in the uk you know yeah i wonder that'd be a really really interesting question because try Googling it. <laughs> even if even if they weren't, um, yeah, I don't think there's, I don't think anybody's put out a, um, a questionnaire uh, for that. But um, it'd be it'd be really interesting because you just feel like you have to. It's what it's what you do, isn't it? You know, you have a drink. You, I'm I'm legally allowed to do this now, so I'm going to have a drink or several drinks or a shit ton of drinks, and uh, because that, because I'm 18 and I can do that now. But what's interesting is, you know, I'm, so that's one thing um, that you can do when you're 18. But I'm, you know, you could you could switch that on and say you go, okay, yeah, fair enough. That that seems like a really really reasonable thing to to do. Have a drink on your 18th. You can also you're also legally allowed to watch porn when you're 18. Mm-hmm. I don't imagine a lot of you know from both sides of the you know both sexes, you know, go straight away and go great. I'm going to rent a porn uh, today. It's my yeah. 18th birthday party. You know, because it's not as much of a, a accepted and um, you know. Uh, part of culture and it's not covered in the media as much. And, you know, there's lots of things that you can do when you, when you turn 18, but it doesn't mean you have to do it except for alcohol.
1: My, my uncle used to send me a birthday card when I was like 16 or 15, 16, 17, only one more or what? two more years to go before I can buy you a pint. Yeah. Only one more year. And it didn't say only one more year till I can buy you a porn mag. You know what I mean? Mm. It's um, completely different. And when you, when you grow up with that, you have all these different cultural, Decisions around you, then it does. I think it makes a big impact.
0: It's 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 interesting, isn't it? But um, obviously, this um, <laughs> this podcast isn't about porn, but it's becoming that's becoming another <laughs> seriously um, considered issue within society and within culture. You know that people are becoming addicted to pornography. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and 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 I don't know what effect the media has on that, really. Um, I, I do like the fact that I that I said um, just off the top of my head went out and rented a porn like it was the nineteen nineties. You know, <laughs> yeah, I
1: didn't think that. I didn't want to interrupt your flow though. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know what was doing there. I'm just showing yeah. my age a little bit, <laughs> but yeah, I like it. So, um, going off the back of that, could you share with us uh, a story if you don't mind of your of like the worst. Um, memory of having a drink or the most embarrassing
1: yeah yeah so it's a very interesting question the i remember a time where a good group of us we were there were a close-knit group of friends with another group of friends and they played in a band and they were going to london in brixton to play a gig and we were going along to watch them everyone hired we hired a coach we played paid like a tenor eight each got on the coach from cambridgeshire to london for this gig Drinking on the way. We got there. They did the gig. There was a guy called Carl Barrett who is part of the Libertines. Oh wow. And he was DJing afterwards. So we went there. We we watched him in the other room. Drank a lot more. The coach was leaving. Did we get on the coach? Three of us decided not to. Wow. And we decided to stay behind on the gig. Not realizing actually that it was Sunday morning when it finished. Trains weren't running, no service. We we're Brixton, three lads, twenty years old, no money, no way to get home. Whoa. And it was a bit of a hairy situation. I say it was the I wouldn't say it was the worst, but it's definitely the, the experience that I remember the most. We basically, I remember we were stood there for about an hour outside the train station, just thinking, what we're going to do? Getting some serious dodgy looks by this time. was about two in the morning, maybe even maybe even three in the morning. And we saw we were just what we going to do? We held down a, a taxi. No, no chance. We've got no money. And we saw a bus. that just said King's Cross on it. Just go past. And we decided to leg for it. Leg it. We just caught it before it left. Scraped enough change to get to King's Cross. Got to King's Cross and. Basically, had to jump on and off trains to find our way home. No money, wasn't a good experience. Didn't get home till the afternoon. Oh my! It was tough. Wow. Learned a lot, and it was Mother's Day. Oh shit! Yeah, so it didn't go down well. So it's a difficult one because it was. You could class it as the worst experiences in being lost at a very young age, not knowing how to get back. But I learned a lot about myself, a lot about my friends, and what to do if i ever got in that situation again what a, so yeah, but what that was a story down to though
0: alcohol. i love that what a great yeah. story i mean it, it's it's you know it's one of those things when, and I, and i've always been um i've always had this you know approach to alcohol through the through the podcast is like alcohol is not the devil like i uh, i think that's hilarious like and um i'm sure if you could go back and do it again, I don't know what you'd say, but like, um, you know, that that bonding experience, you know, you've got to go through stuff like that in life and, and laugh mm. about it. And I think that's absolutely brilliant.
1: Yeah. And also we, we were <laughs> just the three of us dancing on that DJ set in the middle of the floor. It wasn't a big room, just us three, Carl Barrett behind in the Libertines DJ. He came out and danced with us. Now, literally put his arms around us and jumped up and down for about two minutes and then went back behind the, the DJ booth. And I thought, well, on reflection, pretty awesome.
0: Kind of a cool but night. Yeah. While
1: you're going through it, it's not awesome.
0: <laughs> no, it's funny, isn't it? You know, and I think yeah. you know it, uh, if alcohol can be used in a in a healthy way that can you know that can give you memories that can spark nostalgia and, and stuff. You know, in, in as healthy way as f- physically possible. That's that's what we're trying to get to as a part of booze break. Is you know those kinds of nights are great, but if you're doing that once a week, three times a week you know, getting yourself into situations, that's when you need to start thinking about, okay, maybe I need to just have a bit of a rethink, a reset, re-evaluation of, you know, what how I'm, you know, using alcohol. You know, this isn't, Definitely. I want to make it clear to anybody that's listening uh, that, you know, this isn't about never drink again. The drinking's the devil. It's about just trying to like have a bit of a reset and, and you know, rethink and, you know, come back to it with, with a, a fresher, clearer mindset so that, you know, You're not getting yourself into trouble and into harm and and into unhealthy routines and habits. Um, But that's a really cool story. I like that. I haven't got anything even close to being that cool. Um, (laughs) uh, Maybe I'll share a few of mine. Um, But they're, they're mostly very embarrassing. So I'll save that for another episode, I think. But first, I want to give a quick shout out to the good folks over at One Year No Beer. One Year No Beer have been instrumental during my booze break journey. I signed up to the 90 day challenge on there and the help that both Ruri, Andy as well as the One Year No Beer Facebook group have given throughout this time has been so valuable. By signing up I was given access to a ton of helpful resources as well as their amazing Facebook community with over 20,000 members. I get an email first thing every morning with a video highlighting a helpful tip or useful strategies to use throughout the day. Watching these has been such a positive way to start my morning routine and I can't thank them enough. I love One Year No Beer so much that I reached out to them recently and they kindly agreed to help support me in the podcast, which I'm so grateful for. So if you're interested in following in my footsteps and taking on either a 28-day, 90-day or 365-day challenge, you can head over to my website and on the homepage there'll be a One Year No Beer banner that you can click on and sign up for your challenge. I can highly recommend the guys at One Year No Beer and by signing up through my website you'll be helping to support the show, which would really mean a lot to me. But for now, back to the episode. So, can you talk me through at what stage? Because it's an interesting story, yours. At what stage did you reevaluate your drinking, your relationship with alcohol?
1: I had anxiety for quite a long period of time. It's about six, five to six years. For me, I'm the kind of person that, I, because I mentioned before, I'm not very. I wasn't. I wasn't very confident in myself. Mm-hmm. I didn't really have much belief. So, for me to be able to deal with situations quickly and in a relaxed manner and de-stress, I wasn't very good at it. So my stress cup or my stress pint glass, if you wanna say, would fill up very quickly. I wouldn't take much off of it. It would then get to a point where it would overflow. And my overflow, I remember going out on a night out with the lads to Nottingham. I had a great night. I woke up in the morning, seriously hungover, and anxiety. I just had this feeling in my chest and I couldn't, I feel like I wanted to get a deep breath. I couldn't catch the deep breath. That would then cause me to panic that I couldn't breathe properly. That would cause anxiety, panic attacks, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Did I know what it was? Not a clue. You're young. You go through a a night out. You feel absolutely fine. But all that was was that it was just basically a drop on top of my pint glass that was already at the top, and it caused it to overflow, creating the anxiety. And from that point onwards, I... Basically, had anxiety for the next, well, for a very long time, like I said, five or six years. It did affect my relationship with alcohol because I attribute it to drinking when it wasn't that. Obviously, it was just that one thing that happened that tipped me over the edge. It was a catalogue of things. It could have been when I was in my childhood, when I was going through experiences then. I was in the process of moving house, which is a stressful time. But when that one thing happens, it could be tripping over, it causes that extra bit of water stress onto your pint glass overflows bam anxiety and that's kind of it 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 did change my view on alcohol at that point
0: that's a a really sorry to jump in um scott but that's a really really interesting way of of putting that across and i I feel like a lot of people who have been through anxiety i imagine have never heard it put like that before because i certainly haven't Mm. is this um i had I've mentioned it in the in the show before, although I've never really touched on um, how I became uh, sort of affected by anxiety. Um, but yeah, very, very interesting that you've um, you almost completely symptom free up until that point, and then it was just the tipping point, and there's there's almost like no return at that stage, isn't it? You know, um, so am I right in saying that you had almost no symptoms really of anxiety up until that point, and then it was just like. Like, like the switch had been turned on for anxiety at that, at that specific moment. Just one tipping point.
1: Exactly, yeah. I mean, it's a strange one because you, you I, I truly believe anxiety and confidence very strongly linked. So the fact that I had low confidence, and I, like I said before, I didn't believe in myself, couldn't deal with things very well. I was a very sensitive, emotional person. Now, you know, I still am, but I deal with things much better now. The, the fact that that was the case with me, it didn't take much for me to fill my stress cup up, mm-hmm. but as I, you know, some people are really good at dealing with it. So they'll take chunks out of it. This is how I like to explain it to people: is they, they take chunks out of it. They're just good at dealing with experiences and life in general, and it never then really reaches the top unless something huge happens. And then they think, "What is going on?" Like a, a death in the family, or you know, the house burning down. That's enough of a stress to add a lot to your pint glass mm-hmm. to take you up to that that point. But as you're going through life, you can just experience these little things, take little bits and pieces off, but at the top, once that drop, it's just a consistent drop. You know, with a tap, mm-hmm. if you were to leave a bucket in a tap or a glass there and it just drip, 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 as soon as you overflow, really hard to get it back under control. And that's anxiety. That's why when that happens, we go on high alert, everything's a threat. For me, at that point in Nottingham with the lads, didn't know what it was, but all I knew is I was up there. I was at the height of my anxiety. Everything was a threat. I couldn't breathe. Couldn't go outside. It was just an awful, awful situation.
0: That's crazy. That's mm. a, that's uh, and uh, it, it, like um, I can really gel with that, and it's the first time I've been able to do that because uh, other people have explained to me, and, and I've and I've had all sorts of therapy, and and uh, you know, and and come through the the other end of anxiety uh, as a result, which I'm very grateful for. Um, but very similar scenario with myself. I, I really suffered with health anxiety, and um, uh, I had always had these kind of thoughts about. I'm mean, basically, I'm I was scared of dying. That was the, was the easiest way of explaining it. I was scared of dying, specifically scared of cancer. I'm not quite sure why. I I I, I always stuck with that. Um, less scared about getting hit by a bus than getting a terminal, um, you know, diagnosis, and. Um, mm. I had, uh, I've had i got a, a bit of a dodgy ankle and I, I went for a uh, an x-ray. And weirdly, I quite liked having stuff that was wrong with me. I know this sounds bizarre. This, this was when I was a, bit, a little bit younger. I felt like it made me more interesting, you know, if I had like a bit of an injury oh. or something like that and I'm working through it and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I went for this x-ray. I, got, I had had this dodgy ankle for ages. It would just go on me every now and again. And then I had um, an ultrasound and they found this big mass, a big like black hole in this kind of ultrasound. And I looked at it and I'd seen what a cancer mass looked like and, and it looked exactly like that. And the, um, the, 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 the specialist had said, okay, so, uh, and I, 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 sorry, I remember walking into the, the specialist's office and, um, I remember him trying to almost like get rid of me. He was like, oh, sorry, I didn't realize you were coming in. If I'd have known I'd give you a call, I've got to refer you on. And he almost felt like uh, it somehow, it felt like he didn't want me to be there. Like he couldn't deal with this conversation. But really what he was doing, was, he was saying, there's nothing I can do for you because I'm I'm referring you on to a specialist specifically that deals with ankles. Um, But in my head, and he'd said he said to me this thing and, I, and i'm and anyone that suffers with health anxiety will will gel with this they have to they have to give you the worst case scenario but he didn't he didn't dwell on it at all he says yeah okay it looks like something it's probably a cyst um but what we'll do is we'll go and get it um i'll send you over to the specialist and if it's anything more serious obviously we can deal with that at that stage but he literally it was like the tiniest little bit at the end of the sentence but it was the only bit that i held on to was if it's anything more serious and i said how can it, what, what, what do you mean by more serious? And he was like, I was like cancer. He's like, yeah, yeah. yeah." But he said, it's very unlikely that that's the case. Um, and then it was like a cold sweat just came over me and I wasn't the same for about a year and a half, maybe two years, something like that. Mm. And I was a mess the next few days, a complete mess. And for months and months afterwards, just couldn't deal with life. Everything was a threat, like you said. And it was this tipping point. And, and, and you know, going through, you know, the process of healing anxiety, you know, you, you, you'd realized that actually that was the point. It was just, I didn't realize that my, my pint glass had been filling up with stress. Oh. And it had tipped over dramatically and there was no going back. You know, even when I got everything, I was got, you know, the, the, when I went to go and see the actual specialist, it's like, no, it's not cancer. It's a cyst. Um, like I can <laughs> see straight away. But I, I, even then I didn't believe him. You know, I thought well, maybe hmm. it is, you know, cra- it's crazy what it does to you.
1: Yeah. It's that high alert. And, and when you are full and you do overflow, being on high alert, stopping that drip is super hard because Everything is a threat. Mm-hmm. You know, my ankle's a bit dodgy. Oh, my heart might have missed. My heart might have missed a beat, or you know, things like that. Absolutely. So, and and I don't laugh because it's it's silly. It's just because it's so amazing at what our mind can do to us. Yes. The first thing is just to try and relax and allow the your mind and your body and you to do the things you need to do to take a little bit of stress off so when that drop does when you keep having those drops it doesn't the, the flow comes back in and you're not overflowing if that makes sense
0: yeah absolutely it's fascinating yeah. and that's that's um, that's a really helpful way of explaining it so thank you so much for that scott so can we push forwards to the to the to the bit where you made a you know really considerable change and when you came to your uh, approach to, to drinking
1: yeah so i like i said it was it was that 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 I'd linked the two. I thought, well, when I because I didn't know what it was, I thought when I drink and last time I drank, I experienced this horrible feeling. Maybe if I don't drink as much or I don't drink as often or whatever it was, then I won't happen again. Clearly, that wasn't the case, but it did reduce the amount of alcohol that I consumed Mm
2: -hmm.
1: ultimately because that's what I thought it was. Then I realized it was anxiety after a lot of time not knowing what it was, which is which is mad when you think about it. Yes, It was at that point that, although clearly it's present everywhere, it wasn't as talked about back then. I say back then, I'm only 32, but it wasn't as talked about like it is now. People didn't say, I've got anxiety. You didn't go to the doctor for it. You just dealt with what was going on, especially as I did back then. I I just let it happen, which was a mistake, Mm -hmm. but I learned a lot from it anyway.
0: When was this? What, What year?
1: Oh, crikey. So I was about 21, I
0: think. Obviously, yeah, that was, I mean, that was a long, that's a long, that's, mm. what, 11 years ago. Um yeah. So, yeah. you know, I, I, obviously anxiety was around then, but it wasn't necessarily the thing that it is today. Um no. As a result of this, the changes that have happened in 11 years, you know. Um, yeah. quite scary to get, a, get a, something like that when it's not so talked about and... um uh, well known, you know, I think for anyone that kind of gets, becomes, uh, you know, starts to suffer with anxiety can um, quite quickly these days go, Oh, I've got anxiety. Whereas if you mm-hmm. don't know what it is, that's really scary, you know? If you
1: don't- yeah, I, I used to go to the doctor and have checkups like yeah. every now and then. And the doctor sat me there and said to me, Everything's fine. Scott, you, you do realize you don't need to come back for yeah. checkups. Every six months.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. I, I thought, oh, right. I thought, yeah, well, I kind of know that, but, but there's
2: you know, definitely something I'm an anxious wrong anxious me. mess.
1: Can you ask me whether I'm anxious or not? Yeah. <laughs> but obviously the doctor didn't. Um, but in, that was, I think he knew, but that was his way of saying, let's go, you're absolutely tip top. You're a young lad. Everything's fine. It's not necessary for you to keep thinking about the way you're feeling. And I suppose that helped me in a, in a sense, but when you're still, when you're not feeling great it has an impact
0: yeah i, I think it's just nice for, for for anyone who is going through that to for someone to say you have anxiety and you're not alone you you're, mm. you're with the masses of millennials that are all suffering from it because mm. we've grown up in a uh, in an environment where we're you know where that kind of thing is rife um mm-hmm. so it, it's an interesting thing so what's your relationship like with alcohol now like what 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 kind of what kind of it's hard it's hard to pigeonhole people what kind of a drinker are you
1: so I do not drink okay. anymore. I haven't done for over a year, and it, I wouldn't say it was because of the anxiety.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Because as you know, I, I developed, I got older, I stepped out of my anxiety, which was uh, which is amazing, and I'm very grateful for. I then just naturally didn't drink as much as I grew in age. I had a little girl, it means you don't go out as much. You don't get that freedom yeah i then for for me there was a kind of an experience where i i I like exercise very much and i started crossfit and a lot of people might be like crossfit
0: (laughs) get out leave 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 the CrossFitters alone they're good people some of my best friends are crossfitters
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah mine too (laughs) um and basically I, i i did crossfit for quite a while i was good at it i was quite fit and at this point, I was drinking every now and then. I'd have a few drinks. I would go to weddings, maybe have a few too many drinks, etc. But it wasn't as, uh, as frequent as I did when I was younger. I then did a workout at CrossFit, and it was, very, it was, a, it was a, basically a pull-up. And I must have done, oh, I can't remember how many, in up to a, near 100 pull-ups within this workout. Jesus. The next day, I couldn't straighten my arms. Essentially, my arms were bent. And I thought, this isn't right. I'm in tune with my body. I know how it feels when I get muscle soreness, but hey, I'll see how it goes. I couldn't pick my little girl up because it was so painful. But I gave her a couple of days, didn't really get better, started to loosen a little bit. I thought, okay, I'm going to go see the doctor to see what's happening. And I went to the doctor, I said, look, it could just be muscle soreness, but you know, I still can't strain my arms. There's something wrong here. And they did a blood test We'll let you know. I was the best man at a wedding on the Friday, and I went to get the blood test done on the Friday morning. Went off to the wedding, had a couple of beers, not too many, because clearly I wasn't feeling too good. And I was doing my best man speech. I wanted to be, you know, top of my game. Then we left about half past 11, started driving home. My wife was driving, and I got a phone call about half 11 at night, and it was the doctor's surgery saying, you need, to, you need to get to hospital like now. I was like, oh, okay, wow. That's a bit of a shock. Why? And he started to explain what it was. And I didn't really know because you're in a bit of shock thinking, God, I'm going to... So wrong with me? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die. But you don't. And I got to hospital. They said, you've got to stay in. Basically, what I'd done is I'd torn the muscle so much that the protein in the muscle was leaking into the blood, which then could affect the kidneys. <laughs> which could be quite dodgy. And the kidneys and the liver linked in some way. So they kept me in, put me on a drip. I felt okay myself. I just, my arms were a bit stiff.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I stayed in there for, I think, three, four nights. Then I went home. But because they were doing tests on my liver, tests on my kidneys, and I think they even tested my heart to see what that was like because it can put a lot of stress on the body having to deal with things like that. They, um, Basically, I stopped drinking alcohol from that day. Didn't think about it. And then not too long ago. I think it was a few months ago. It was my um, friend's anniversary, year anniversary. I thought, oh wow, I haven't had a drink since that, that day. And that is when it happened.
0: Amazing. So it's, it's, been, yeah. it's been over a year that you've, that you've been completely alcohol free. It's, first of all, that's a crazy story. Uh, that, that, that's insane. <laughs> no, no one ever gets called by their doctor at half 11 at night. Like no. if, if you get called by your doctor at half 11 at night, you're in you're in the shit. You know something's wrong. You know, yeah. Um, that's that's crazy. I like in my ha- my health anxiety. My heart's pounding already just thinking about that. Um, that that's insane. that's <laughs> yeah,
1: tough. Yeah, and, but but can you, you know if I was anxious, uh, if if it was at the height of my anxiety and that had happened, Whoa. who knows what would have happened, yeah. But I'm, I'm under control. So that was just like a. It was just a shock. Seeing so what is going on. But, that's yeah.
0: crazy. And then so yeah, so a, a year, a year without alcohol, and then. Was it tough? Was it at all difficult going through that with there with a with a periods? Um, like I I imagine it's yours is a very unique scenario, but I imagine you go through the same kind of things of thinking oh, I might have a little drink, but then you sort of think oh, maybe I shouldn't, and that be, that becomes to play on your mind and stuff. Did you have any issues with that?
1: Well, initially, I didn't I didn't go out and, and get into that environment that I, because I didn't drink at home, it wasn't wasn't something that would play on my mind, and I didn't go out a lot because I was just hibernating yeah. and I had a little girl so it wasn't, I wasn't in those social situations as much so it wasn't difficult in that sense it did get difficult when I did go out though because I got to by the time I did that you know it was a few months of me, me not drinking so you get in that habit and then because I'm a competitive person in my mind I was thinking well I haven't had a drink in this long I wonder how long I can go and then you go out and people go you're not having a drink. Oh, no, I don't want to drink. What do you want about? And it gets very... It's difficult because people expect you to, especially when you have in the past. Absolutely. But I was in a battle with myself. I was in a battle with looking after my body because it was enough of a scare. Whether it—whether people think it was a scare or not, for me it was. So at that point, I thought, you know, it was a scare. It created enough pain within me to be in hospital for three and a bit of days. I'm not going to do it just in case. I'm going to see how long I can go. That competitive nature within me. And I did it. So mm-hmm. it wasn't hard in that sense. The difficulty was having to explain to people yeah. why. That's hard. It really is hard. People don't, they don't understand.
0: I'm going to write a book of uh, responses. I'm going to make a fortune on this. I'm going to write a book of responses for people who get questioned on the fact that they're not drinking in a social situation. Mm-hmm. And I could yes. make millions on that, I think because That's it's a great idea it's so difficult it's so difficult and I, I said this in the past i think the more confidence you have in your decision um and the that the more you give off that vibe of just like step off you know like this i'm not drinking mate you know mm. uh, i don't drink um but i know a lot of people especially early on don't feel comfortable being like that um in which case you know you can you can do some I think Andy uh, Andy Ramage in a recent um, interview uh, said you can you can you can spout some spoofs you know I'm doing a challenge I'm doing this I'm having a booze break I'm doing it for my health stuff like that you can totally give the excuses um, for sure um, but I think until until it becomes more of the norm to not drink in social situations you're always going to come up across that question of why aren't you drinking don't you drink. Um, I remember being like that. Totally. I remember being the person who was like, we had we had one friend in our friendship group who didn't drink and you instantly labeled her as a buzzkill, you know, that kind of person that's just like, oh, you know, this. it's almost like the mom of the group, you know, that's like, oh, you're not drinking. But well, she was having a great time, you know, but it was us that had the issue with it, not her. It's interesting, really, really interesting. It's hard, it's hard to get around for sure. It's easier if you've got a friendship circle who are doing similar stuff to you. Um, which is why I, um, I recommend to my listeners, you know, if you can make new friends, I'm not saying get rid of the old ones. But if you if you struggle with those kind of situations, socialize with people who don't drink or socialize with people who don't care that you don't drink um, because it will make it easier, um, especially if it's just for a specific period of time. You know, if you're just trying to do let's just do 100 days alcohol free and see how we feel after that point, see if I've got a better relationship with it. Just do those 100 days of not going to the pub with your mates, you know, it's, you'd be surprised how quickly that goes around. Definitely.
1: Yeah. Or just borrow my story and say, yeah, it's like, well, we are kidneys and liver. And yeah. <laughs> happy days. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> They'll yeah.
0: Back off then. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? And what's interesting about that, you know, you had a you had a diagnosis of something that was quite serious, uh, potentially life threatening, although it never really got to that point. Um, and you decided straight away that you would do something about that. And I, I think that says something about your willpower and something about your uh, mindset. I got a diagnosis, this being someone who actually has that health anxiety and still suffers a little bit with it for sure. Um, anytime I've got like a bit of a problem, I said to my wife the other day, like, one of my spine, one of my vertebrae on my spine was hurting. It's been hurting for a while to be fair. Um, and I was like, I instantly go to spinal cancer, straight away. I'm just like, that's that's the thought that gets into my head. Um, and 18 months ago, that would have, that'd have been all I would think about all day mm. was that situation. Now I can kind of just let the, let the thought go and leave as, as, it, as it sees fit. And it doesn't really bother me too much. It's interesting that when I got diagnosed with an actual physical liver condition, I didn't do anything about my drinking. I cut down for about three days. Um, hmm. And then just just went back up and back up, and I, that just shows the state of my mind. And what it, what that said to me was, health wasn't a good enough reason for me to consider changing my relationship with alcohol. That wasn't the primary indicator. It's one of them. It's one. It's one of it's one of the very good reasons why you should seriously consider your alcohol intake if you're in a situation where your liver's becoming, you know, a concern. But mm. It wasn't enough for me. And I had to really dive into what was important for me in my life. And the alcohol was affecting. Um, And what that came down to was my daughter and my relationship with my my daughter was the the most important thing for me, far beyond anything else, um, you know, was was the fact that I want to be the best dad I can possibly be. And I could see myself not being a hundred percent all the time, not being a hundred percent on it all the time, and uh I still suffer and, and we, we, i think i think all parents have that doubt in their head, don't they but um you know I especially had that as a you know as a as a result of of drinking so um, another another hot hot tip is uh you know if you if you are thinking about going down the route of changing relationship with alcohol um don't just do it because someone else told you to do it really find the reason why you want to make a change, um, and that'll that'll make a huge difference. That that goal, that mindset, will will change massively. So you you've been twelve months alcohol free, just over twelve months alcohol free, which is amazing. Well done. What point did it get to where you didn't really think about it? What you know was there was there a switch in mindset at some stage? you know, three months, six months, wherever, where you just, it it didn't even become a thing, even at social situations, it was like, I know I'm not going to drink. It's not even a question. And I'm totally okay with it. Did that happen straight away? Or or was was it, was there a certain point?
1: It was, it was straight away. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I think coming back to what you said a minute ago about, you know, you, you, you had a problem with your liver. It didn't make much of a difference to your drinking habits. Thinking about your daughter did. Mm -hmm. And that's because as, as human beings, we do things based on pleasure and pain. And basically, it was enough pain for me to do something about it. And for you, obviously, your the way you felt with regards to your body, your liver wasn't enough pain for you to do something about it, but your daughter was. And that just triggered this, okay, I'm going to do something about it now. I'm mm. going to challenge myself. And it was the same for me. It was, it was enough of a shock and enough of a pain for me to make the decision to stop just for not for a long period of time, just for up until I feel ready. And I didn't overthink it. Like I said, though, the only challenge for me was getting that across to other people when I'm out and about. Yeah, you know, oh I'll have a shot. Mm, no thanks. Good. But that but straight away I made the choice. It wasn't like a a, a battle in in, in internally. It was, nope, that was enough pain. That scared me enough. I'm going to stop. Yes. Just, for, for the foreseeable future.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this is the point, you know, it's, uh, I think it's very scary and difficult to make any kind of commitment. And that's why I, I, I don't stress that, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I'm not in a position where I'm saying I'm never going to drink again. Um, I'm sure I will. I'd like to get to that point though, but I'm putting no pressure on myself to do that. If I can, if I can have a, a extended period of time and come back to, you know, to being able to say, I'm I'm not sober with a capital S, um, uh, you know, for all my life, um, that's, that's not a decision that I need to make right now. Um, but if I can, you know, if I can have a serious break, come back with a different attitude towards it and, and crack, carry on from there. That's great. You know?
2: Yeah.
1: And I think what you're showing yourself and others is that it is entirely possible for you to do the things that you want to do. Mm-hmm. A lot of us, we won't do something because of fear of failure or because of not knowing how. We don't have a story or a strategy to get there. But by even doing it for three months, six months, a month, a year, whatever it is, you are showing how capable you are, and that if you've done it once, you can do it again. yes. And that's the, the really powerful thing about trying things like this, whether it's a diet, whether it's stopping alcohol, whatever it is, once you give it a go, you are proving to yourself that what you are doing, you are capable of doing. And that's more powerful
0: than anything, right? Absolutely. And another thing that's worth mentioning is the fact that I think a lot of people, and this is, this is most of the reason why I set up booze Break, is a lot of people think that you have to really consider your alcohol when you become an alcoholic and not before, and that's mm. totally not true. I think, you know, I think when you become like, and again, I, I, I'd say in every bloody episode that I don't like using the word alcoholic, but it's the most common term that down and out, can't function, red nose, red cheeks, super skinny, can't focus on their job, terrible relationship with family, you know, letting people down, stuff like that. This kind of perceived idea of what an alcoholic is, um, that's the point where you decide that you need to really consider your relationship with alcohol. As far as I'm concerned, that's way too late, um, uh-huh. and way too dangerous, and way too challenging um, to 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 get to that point. Uh, but really, if you can if you can put the brakes on when you're in a situation where you only drink socially, and go, actually, do you know what? I'm I'm out every single weekend, and it's costing me money, and it's costing me a little bit of my health, and I'm not less productive on a Monday and a Tuesday and a Wednesday. And I'm maybe having the odd scrap, um, maybe I'm, I'm having a bit of an argument with my wife or my or my husband. Um, that's the point where you can kind of go, let's have a think about this, see if we can change this up a little bit, and, and it's easier to do at that stage. First of all, um, it's definitely more beneficial. And so it, it's not just for you know, it's not just for people who are like, I've got a problem with alcohol. It's not mm-hmm. totally not booze break isn't about that. It's about you know kind of changing your relationship for the better, save yourself a bit of money. Um, but uh, a good w- I've always said a good way of doing it is um, if you struggle to do a sober for October, booze breaks to one. You know, <laughs> I mm-hmm. was like that. I, I I couldn't do it. I couldn't do a sober for October. I get about three quarters of the way through and cave. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'd, I'd find it really difficult to do. It doesn't make me an alcoholic. It just means that the, the the habit was ingrained into my everything that I did in, my, in my, my, my routine. And if you can change that routine a little bit just by taking out the equation for, for a, a while, then it's only going to be good for you. You, know, you can just come back to it when you feel like it. I just want to take a quick break to let you guys know about my Patreon. So if you're liking the content that you're listening to uh, on the Booze Break podcast, you can actually show your support by going over to the Booze Break website, which is boozebreakpodcast.com Right at the top there, there's a little button that says donate. You can click on there and it goes straight to my Patreon page. This is where you can actually pledge a sum per month to help support the the show and me. First of all, that's really generous and and thank you. But also you do get um, some benefits to that as well. Different tiers that you can um, go to. There's actually this legend, warrior and godlike behemoth. With the Legend tier, which is just £7.50 a month, uh, you can actually get access to new episodes before they get released on their official release dates. And uh, you can cancel this at any point, of course, you're not tied into anything necessarily. With the uh, Warrior tier, which is £15 a month, you get early access to the episodes, you get a, a coveted Booze Break sticker and access to the private Facebook group for people who are on a booze break and, and want to join a community and help support each other and with you know with positivity and hints and tips. And then you've got Godlike Behemoth, which is £30 a month. If you donate that, you're an absolute star and, and I can't thank you enough. With this, you get early access to episodes. You get a shout out on one of my podcasts. Uh, you get the booze break sticker. You get access to the private Facebook group and you also get an epic booze break t-shirt as well. So any support that you guys could give would mean a huge amount to me. Uh, notoriously, podcasts don't don't earn a great deal. So any bit that you can give would would make a huge difference. And it just keeps me motivated and, and able to be producing content and taking the time out to do research and, and put these episodes out. So I uh, thank you. Back to the episode. I would love to pick your brain on um, a few topics that are more within your expertise as opposed to mine. Because I think one of the things that a lot of people do, whether they realize it or not, is they self-medicate through alcohol. Um, and as, as I touched on before, this is something that happens not necessarily intentionally all the time. This is something that happens. A byproduct of drinking is that you, you feel like you become more social or your anxiety is reduced or your self worth is increased. You don't you don't necessarily start drinking because you have those issues, but, you, you realize eventually that actually that, that it is having that effect. And then you carry on as a result, you go, I've got to have a drink before I go and meet this girl. Uh, I've got to have, I've got to be four pints down before I can have sex with anybody, something like that. You know, I've known people that were like that. And, uh, and you sort of think, Jesus, that's, that's not a healthy way to have a relationship and, and things like this, you know, and, and I think you can, uh, you can totally self-medicate um, through alcohol, which isn't the safest way of, of using it at all. But these are these are areas I imagine you deal with a lot with your own clients in some respect, not necessarily oh. through alcohol, but just in general. And, uh, so I wanted to talk about a, a couple of topics, really the two big ones, which are confidence and anxiety, which is stuff that we've t- we've touched on already. But I wanna start with confidence because I think confidence is a big thing when it comes to alcohol. It's almost like the best marketing for alcohol is it gives you confidence. And we all know the situation. We've we even just we've even just touched on it in the fact that going up and getting the girl's number, you know, and you and you see the guy in in the sitcom, and he downs that beer, and all of a sudden this guy's got all this bravado, his chest's out, and he stro- strides over to this girl and go and 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 strikes up that conversation. You know, that's ingrained mm-hmm. in our subconscious through media uh, and through situations that we've you know been involved in. That's the marketing for alcohol. Is that what that's what it can do, you know, for you and stuff. But I wanted to get Mm. your sort of opinion on on that, but also how we can how my listeners can take steps to build confidence um, without the use of alcohol, which I'm sure Sure. is I'm sure is an episode in itself. But if you can give some tips, that'd be amazing.
1: Yeah, I mean, with, with confidence, it ultimately, for me, a big part of confidence is finding out who we are. Because when you know who you are, you can approach situations and not really mind if things don't go exactly how you want them to go, because you know who you are as a person. You can feel confident in that. Mm -hmm. But so many of us don't really know who we are. And that's why we need a drink. That's why we need to do these things or get a compliment of someone saying you're good at your job for you to go, yeah, 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 I'm good at my job. Yeah, yeah. And all of these things play a massive, massive factor. So would would you say you know who
0: you are? I say I'm getting better at asking that question of myself, um, yeah. but yeah. It, it was one of those things. It, it was homework that I had to do um, to start this process for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think the way that I started that is I looked at my values up first mm-hmm. and, and and kind of dived into that. I don't know whether that's, the, mm-hmm. whether that's the right way of doing it from from your point of view, but um, yeah. you know that, they were the things that I considered when I was going down the route of developing myself. Um, for sure. Um, mm-hmm. But I'd be interested in in knowing if there's any better ways of doing that from your point of view.
1: Yeah, well, with with who you are, the amount of times I, I say to people when I first meet them or I first, not obviously just in the street, I don't go, who are you? <laughs> well, sometimes I do. Mm. But generally, when I'm coaching people, when I'm speaking to them on the first call, it's about trying to understand who they are. And I'll say, oh, tell me about yourself. Who are you? And they'll say, well, my name's Julie. I am a teacher and I. I'm a mom and have two children, and I'm divorced. Mm-hmm. I go, okay, cool. So, is that who you are? Yeah. Or is that what you do? Yeah. And she'll say, oh, that's a very, that's a very interesting question. Who are you? And people go and tell you what they do, they don't tell them who they are. And that's because they're not sure exactly who they are. Yeah. Basically, we're human doings rather than human beings. And that's a very interesting topic. Mm. So who am I, for example? I'm kind, caring, honest, a bit stubborn, sometimes a bit annoying, reliable, hardworking. That's who I am, and it dictates what I do.
0: And And they're values, I guess, aren't they?
1: Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And that's who you are. So I got it right. Yeah,
0: so
1: so you are who you are. So that means if you go into a situation, you know that you're kind and you're caring, and you go into a situation, and you maybe say something to someone. They take it the wrong way. You know, what you said to me is really rude. I, I don't like that very much. You know who you are. You know you're kind and caring. So the fact that you upset them wasn't your intention. Mm-hmm. So you can confidently go, well, you know, I'm really sorry about that. It's not my intention. I, I would never want to upset you. And that boosts your confidence because you know who you are. You know the kind of things that you can deal with. But if you don't, someone says that to you, it knocks you. You feel like, oh, wow, I'm not actually, am I? What Did, did I do it on purpose? Yeah. What kind of person am I? Anxiety. And it creates this, this feeling of maybe not feeling enough. Maybe like you can't have connections with people. But that stems to not knowing who we are. Does that make sense?
0: Absolutely, yeah. And I think it's, it's really valuable because it's, uh, and I can, at least, I, I'm glad I can weigh in on it because I've kind of done that although it does screw up the whole of the intros of my uh, podcast where I say, I'm Dan, I'm a photographer, husband and, fo- and father. <laughs> but
1: then I did as well. At the start. <laughs> I did as well. I was thinking, but it's a bit weird for someone to say, oh, so tell me about yourself. I'm kind, I'm caring, I'm yes. reliable. You know, but if you know deep down who you are, then you do go into conversations, life and experiences with more confidence because you know that you are good at this. This is what your skill set is. This is who you are. Confidence.
0: Absolutely. And and, uh, I'm so happy when I get people like yourself on, Scott, because so I did a episode on identity and uh, we talk about getting your values because I think identity, you know, has a role to play in who you are, you know. And we touched on that as well, and um, the, the fact that yeah, getting those core values first is a great understanding of um, you know who you want to be. But the beauty of it is, you can change those values. You can change that identity. You can re- you can relate to values that you didn't necessarily have before, but you'd like to have, um, mm. and you can build on this new version of yourself. Uh, because I I'd identified as a drinker. I'd, I identified as being a little bit more rock and roll. Um, and I realized that that was just bullshit. That was who I wanted. That was how I wanted to be perceived. It wasn't who I was at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can, you can swap that out for something that's a lot more healthy. Like I'm, a, an excellent father. I'm, mm. um, I'm available emotionally to my daughter. Um, I'm patient, which is a thing that I really struggle with is patience. I'm not at all patient in a lot mm-hmm. of things. Um, and i get i 'm quick to get frustrated and get angry um at the stupidest things i kicked a um I kicked a drawer yesterday because it was broken and it really i was in a <laughs> bad mood anyway, and I kicked this drawer um because i it, because something got stuck behind in it and it wasn 't closing properly in my kitchen and I kicked the front of it off and I broke it and now i can 't fix it and so i 've just got like a hanging drawer facade excellent um yeah. and i 'm just like. Instantly I go, go into internalizing that and going, well, that was a stupid thing to do. That doesn't, that doesn't hold up to my core values. I, I'm not, I don't want to be the guy that kicks drawers in anger, you know, and and, yeah. and it was just a tap. It was just, I was like, oh, bloody hell, this blooming thing. Like I didn't like boot it, um, but it is, it is like 20 years old or longer. So um, yeah, it was uh, anyway, it, I, I, I think constantly looking into that is is absolutely crucial i think that's a really really good uh point of view yeah, so yeah
1: it's it's about our beliefs and what we believe to be true i remember having a coaching client very recently and she said to me oh, i'm just we were going through her beliefs and what what ones aren't serving her because if we believe that we're not confident or we believe that we have to have a drink to be able to socialize with people i'm trying to link it in here to so say you yeah, know that's brilliant that's brilliant <laughs> um when you 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 believe that these these certain things, then the world around you is going to be based upon that belief. It's the story that we make up. And she said to me, I'm just a forgetful person. I always have been. And I said, Oh, okay. That's interesting. So what do you de- define as being forgetful? And she said, Someone that doesn't remember dates and times. Oh, but actually I I'm actually pretty good at that, hmm. dates and times. I said, oh, Okay. So your definition of forgetful is forgetting dates and times, but you're actually pretty good at dates and times. Yeah. She said, She said, Yeah. I said, "Have you, when, was the, when would you say that you started to maybe be forgetful? And she said, well, it was just after university, actually. I started to maybe feel like I was forgetful then. Uh, so I said, so you haven't always been forgetful then? She said, no. And we broke it down. Mm-hmm. But it's the words that she said she truly believed that she was forgetful when she always has been. So therefore, she always was going to be. But her definition of forgetful was different to what she actually thought it was. And she wasn't always forgetful. So it just complete, completely blew that belief out of the water. And in her mind, it completely changed. Is she forgetful now? Of course not, mm-hmm. because she doesn't believe that she is. She believes that she can remember things and it dictates what she does in the world around her now. And that's about the power of beliefs and what we can do to break them down and to, to change them.
0: Amazing. So what kind of advice would you give to somebody in a scenario where they are struggling with confidence and they use alcohol as a, as a means to become confident. Um, I'm going to say in relationships, you know, like as in, let's say I'm a person, I'm a single person who, you know, is going to meet people, you know, dating, things like that. And they, they struggle to feel confident enough to do that without having a couple of drinks in them. So we would look at their, who they think they are. You know, actually, actually like work out their core values. Is there any kind of, is there, are there any other things that you would have them look at going into that scenario without alcohol? Do you think?
1: Yeah. So fundamentally, the first thing I do is look at, look at what they believe. Mm-hmm. And why, why do they feel they need alcohol in order to speak to that person in, in a relationship or create a relationship with someone? What is it that's causing that? Is it the fact that they do not believe that they can speak to? people without alcohol. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's a belief that's unhelpful because the majority of the time for the majority of people, you're not drinking all the time. So therefore, does that mean that you can't communicate with people in a, in a positive way because you haven't got a drink, which is potentially a lot of the time. So it would be, what kind of thing do they believe to be true? Is it that they cannot talk to people? I can't talk to women or I can't talk to a man without alcohol, mm-hmm. without a drink in my hand. Okay. But why? Yeah. So have you, and I would say, have you ever spoken to, when was the last time you spoke to someone um, of the opposite sex? Oh, yesterday at work. Oh, okay. So you can talk to people without alcohol yeah. and something in your hand. Oh yeah, I can. And sometimes that small shift in the mind can make a difference. And then it's just about reframing it into being something much more positive and in line with what they want. So if, this is if they want to not drink.
0: Yes. Yeah. Of course. Every time. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, uh, that's really, really good advice. And it it does make you think, you know, I I would, I would, I would start to question the fact that, okay, well, I can speak to women, no problem at all. Um, And, you know, in a work environment, out on the streets, whatever, you know, I, I have no issues with that at all. But then you go into a situation where you're dating someone new, there's the prospect of romance down the line. That's a lot of pressure, isn't it? You know, so I can see why people would want to switch that mindset into being a little bit more anxious but really when you break it down, it's just a conversation, isn't it? You know, you're just getting to know a person, just like I'm getting to know yourself now. Um, oh. you know, it doesn't necessarily need to be any more difficult or anxiety ridden than it than than when you just break it down into its constituent parts, essentially.
1: Yeah. And when you when you do things, such as you feel nervous about having that not having that drink when you're talking to someone that you could potentially build a relationship with, do it. Mm. Like take action because when you started your podcast, you probably felt, not, I don't know how you felt, but a little bit nervous, but apprehensive. I might stumble over my words. What if the editing is not right? But what did you do? You took action. Yeah. You did it anyway. You then became competent. And you became better at it because you kept taking action. And then what happens is because you feel more competent, you therefore become confident. Yes. And sometimes it's as simple as that. You take action. You become competent at it. You build your confidence
0: which is a, a, you know a much more helpful way of saying practice makes perfect essentially isn't it you know yeah, like the exactly. old the old sayings are the best but they don't give you enough information it's like when <laughs> uh, when you're dating it's you say just be yourself it's like well, you don't you mm-hmm. can't be yourself if you don't know if you don't know who yourself is i guess mm-hmm. in that respect oh, uh, yeah. yeah so um yeah i think i think that i'm i'm starting to to realize that a lot of the the things based around Coaching around mental health, around um, therapy—it's stuff you already know. You just don't know how to dissect it. You know that the answers are there. You just can't quite work out how to get to them without a little bit of a push and someone having to sort of explain it in in a, in a in a way that's a little bit more palatable. That's really helpful. I would like to touch on to anxiety again. We've talked about it quite a bit already, but um, I know a lot of my listeners are gonna be struggling with anxiety, that I'm there with them as as you are in in that respect. What essentially a hangover is, or even mild symptoms of a hangover, is alcohol withdrawal. It's, it's it coming out of your system. It's all the bad stuff. What that does is it gives you heightened anxiety. It's all of the stuff that you know, heighten, the fastened heartbeat. Um, you get that beer fear. Um, all of that stuff um, happens as, as a result. So it's a difficult one to, to broach because in one respect, it does help anxiety. In the other respect, l- long term, it really is damaging for anxiety after the use of alcohol. But can you give any advice for any listeners who potentially are struggling with anxiety and are hesitant to make any changes because of that? They don't want to give up alcohol for any, any period of time because they know that it helps them get to sleep. It helps them to get through an evening without you know, heightened anxiety symptoms.
1: Yeah, sure. So, I mean, anxiety is, is such a complicated feeling because we all experience it in so many different ways. Your anxiety was different to the way I felt, although we have similar char- characteristics in there. Mm-hmm. It is different for each person. The reason that they are doing the things they're doing to help with their anxiety is going to be different Mm -hmm. but from my point of view and from what i see a lot of people that i help with anxiety is that it's because they forward think a lot it's what's going to happen you know i'm going to fall ill or i'm going to feel anxious i remember what it felt like it's going to happen again when i go into this environment so i need a drink to help me to help it not happen and that's because we're forward thinking
0: it's like false uh, future prediction isn't it you know it's like uh, and I would totally do it yeah Um, I would uh, I got to a point where I was planning my own funeral which is when you when you think about it from the outs from the from a different perspective you think what a nutter why are you planning your own funeral? (laughs) I was, I was thinking about how, how I would record a video, you know, like in the movies where where you say, if you're watching this, I'm dead now, you know, Mm. I was planning on doing something like that. What a stupid (laughs) thing for a person in their late twenties to be doing. But, um, you do, I, I, you know, absolutely. Sorry. I I jumped in there because I really gel with that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we forward think and when we forward think, We create anxiety because we don't know what's going to happen. And if we are already anxious, it's just going to propel it even more. One of the things that people could do is be more present. But I've recently spoken about this with uh, a lot of people. It's kind of my viewpoint. Be more present. It's everywhere. Do this. Be more present. Mindful. Meditate. Yes, perfect. But being present requires us to concentrate and focus on things. But we have an attention span of a drunk gnat. So being able to focus and be present is actually quite difficult for a lot of us. You'll know that when you're scrolling through social media. They'll just scroll through. Nothing will catch your attention really unless it really stands out and you'll stop. Maybe read the first line or two. Didn't really get your attention. So you carry on going. It's because our attention span is, is not great. Mm-hmm. So being present is difficult. First thing to do is just to learn how to concentrate, actually concentrate on one thing in the moment that you're in. So for me, for example, what, listening to you, I am just watching you intently while you're speaking and listening to every word you're saying. Every now and then I might drift off trying to, th- what am I going to say next? What's going to come into my head? Mm-hmm. I'll notice that straight away, took a lot of practice and I'll bring myself back to where I am in this moment. Yes, It takes practice, it takes repetition because how long have people not been doing it? years potentially absolutely so it takes time to learn to focus and to concentrate on one thing one task one person whatever you're doing the more you do that you will start to be more present when you're more present it reduces anxiety because you're not focusing on the future and also you're not looking in the past which causes regret you're in this moment like you and I right now talking at this moment in time there's nothing to worry about
2: yeah Absolutely.
1: Actually, there is nothing. We're just you and I talking. But as soon as we start thinking, oh, this I've got to make that phone call that I don't want to make, or I've got to do this, instantly, you're out of the moment, you create an anxiety. So first thing I would say for a lot of people is try and be more present. If you struggle with it, go back to basics. Learn to concentrate. Learn to focus on one thing. The more you do that, the better being present will be.
0: Excellent. I like That's That's super, super (laughs) helpful. And it's something that I struggle with and I'm sure a lot of people uh, do struggle with, even though, you you know, I've, I've used and I can definitely recommend, you know, apps, there's, you know, Headspace, you know, there's, there's, there's places where you can go. There's all sorts of, um, you know, resources that you can use if you struggle with these kinds of things and you can kind of train your mind to be a little bit more mindful and present, um, and meditation is amazing for that, for sure. Uh, I don't do it as, mm-hmm. uh, enough anymore. I I really need to make time for it. And I think some of the most calm and collected people have a set routine of meditation. And you know that, that a lot of them say that's one of the biggest thing biggest biggest changes for them mm-hmm. was you know the fact that they could practice this mindfulness, you know, and and be able to you know through meditation and be able to put that into practice throughout their day. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I think that's really really helpful and for a lot of people and i've felt like this it's almost encouraged for you to be multitasking constantly and that's quite difficult you know it's like we're we're the generation of um and and i think for you and i we're the generation that came from a place of not being on social media not being on the internet in in our younger years Um, And then when smartphones came along, all of a sudden, we've got all these things that we can be doing, we can be multitasking, we can be, you know, listening to a podcast while editing and speaking to somebody at the same time and checking our, you know, our Instagram feed. Um, And that could be quite scattering. Uh, But especially from a business person's point of view, multitasking, you know, is almost like a requirement, or a perceived uh, requirement. You know, you have to be Working on several different things at one stage and and things like that, but actually, um, it's probably much more efficient and beneficial to compartmentalize every single one. I'm sure I've screwed up the pronunciation of that every time. It doesn't feel like a right, the right. It doesn't feel like a real word. Um, but uh, to be able to go, okay, I've got these seven things to do today. I'm not going to try and do six of them at once. I'm going to try and do one at a time, and do a better job on, on every single one, and you to be a bit. And that's, that's essentially being mindful in some respects.
1: Yeah, I mean, a really helpful mindfulness trick. If we, if we were to do it right now, it literally takes like 10 seconds. You can cut it out if you need to. But essentially, what we're doing is we're just stopping a few times a day and just following the breath for a count of 10. And all that does is that basically when I do it, I imagine I'm drawing a line down to my tummy, where I breathe. And basically, I'm just following that breath for a count. So in is one, out is two. And I do that once, two, three, maybe four times a day. And it just brings me back. I'm not doing anything else, but focusing in that moment on my breath. And then I can crack on and do what I want to do. But that one thing increases your focus, increases your concentration, helps you be in the moment. And it's really, really
0: powerful, Mm. actually. I think your body needs that. Sometimes I'll find myself I've I'll catch myself heavy. I'll do one big heavy breath in the most stressful parts of the day. I think your body craves this moment. You don't realize it. Um when I'm super super stressed, I feel myself you know like yeah. and but I've got my hands on my hips. I'm not it's not coming from a place of, you know, mindfulness. It, it, my body needs it because I've probably been Subconsciously, hyperventilating, or you know, my heart rate's mm. going crazy because I'm I'm trying to deal with a million things at once, and I'm not happy. Uh, I'm not present. Um, I've definitely been feeling.
1: Interestingly, you just said putting your hands on your hips, and there's studies to show that when you put your hands on your hips and stand in a power stance, yes, you decrease your cortisol, which is your stress hormone. You increase your testosterone, and you your risk tolerance goes. Up or down? I can't remember which it goes up or down. And so it means you are willing to take more risks. So that's probably a a natural instinct for you is take a deep breath because you need it. And put your hands on your hips and stand in that power stance because it decreases your stress and increases your testosterone, which makes you feel better.
0: Your body body is subconsciously telling you you need to be more mindful uh, Mm -hmm. and and take a breather. Uh, I think that the difference is I'm doing it with a scowl on my face and probably shaking my head. Uh, so to work on, I need to work on those other couple of things to really make yeah. that, you know, a benefit to my, uh, uh, to my, to my daily routine and to my mental health. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. The body needs it, obviously. I, th- I mean, I, this ties into what we've talked about previously, but negative self talks a big part of, um, of the processes of confidence and anxiety. Cause I feel like all of these three things are linked relatively well, um and again i think a lot of people will use alcohol as a way of calming this process this numbing you know the neurons aren't firing as quick um we can numb our minds to our own inner voices that that potentially quite negative i've experienced this a lot i still do to some extent We'd, so does this do you think this factors into all of those Those other things that we've talked about in terms of confidence and anxiety, this negative self-talk.
2: Yeah,
1: for sure. Our internal dialogue, our negative self-talk is is fundamentally what can cause the problems because if something has happened, excuse me, if something has happened and there's enough pain involved, or you continually repeat this statement, this negative self-talk, then you can soon begin to believe what that statement is. And then when you believe something, again, like we said, it creates the world around you. So having being aware of your negative self-talk, but actually doing something about it is really important. So often we'll just go through life not realizing why we're not doing things because we're not aware of our thoughts. We might be aware of them, these constant thoughts, but are we doing nothing about them? If you're not and you're not happy, time to change and actually do something about them, break them down. This isn't good for me. I ask three questions. Is this helpful? Do I want to think it? Is it true? And I'm looking for the answers of those. Majority of the time, they're all no. And when they are, then I ask myself, why am I thinking it? How about I just get rid of it? And I let it go, think of something positive. You do that enough, the negative self-talk will fade away and the positive will take its place.
0: That's amazing. And I'm writing that down as, as we speak uh, because that's yeah. such a lovely way of thinking about negative self-talk. Um, and this can come in, in different, lots of different factors, I imagine. Um, it's not just a case of I do something and then I think, what a prick or, or whatever, mm. you know, I'm, uh, which is kind of, which is my, which is my go to always self criticizing myself for doing something that was, that I'm shameful of or whatever, you know, any kind of like kicking that bloody drawer mm. straight away. I thought, what a prick, why have I done that? That's just caused me the world of grief and, I've, and I'm embarrassed <laughs> now about it, um, you know, uh, but I imagine it comes in lots of different ways. So um, question, question that negative self-talk. Um, yeah, for sure. Three questions. Is it helpful? No, it's not helpful. Like, I'm an idiot. What's
1: the point in me even trying? That's not helpful. No. Do I want to think it? No, of course I don't want to think it. It's not, it's not what I want to think. And is it true? Well, no, of course not. Because most of the time I'm a really nice guy. I know who I am. I'm confident. I'm calm. I'm kind. So it's not true. That therefore means that I don't want it in my mind. I'm going to get rid of that. And I'm going to think something much more positive, which is I'm a bit frustrated right now, but most of the time I'm in a really good place. I'm just going to take a couple of deep breaths and move on. Happy days.
0: Yes, that, that's really beneficial. So being able, being able to first of all question it, but then flip it on its head, turn it into a positive. And the more you do that, I imagine the more it just becomes second nature.
1: Yeah, for sure. We're, we're ingrained as the brain that we've got is looking for a negative. Fight, flight, freeze. Get out, fight, or stay still. Hope nothing sees us. <laughs> that, whole, that whole saying, you've probably heard it plenty of times before, that saber-toothed tiger. <laughs> but we're not like that anymore. But we still look for that negative. I was to show you, I read something the other day, and it had a teacher wrote 10 sums on a, on a whiteboard. And the he asked the pupils... What can you notice out of this? And they all put their hand up and they said, you got one wrong. Mm. And the whole point is that we're looking for the negative, but you got nine right. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: (laughs) And that's just the way we are. So, you know, remember that you've got to challenge your thoughts sometimes. Otherwise, it's going to find that negative because that's the brain we've got. It's doing it to protect us. And that's absolutely fine. We're grateful for that, right? Because we need it sometimes. Mm -hmm. But don't let it affect our mood and put us in that state of anxiety in that low confidence area where we always self-doubt because you, you can question it. And when you question it, things can happen. And remember, self-doubt, if you ever doubt yourself, self-doubt is essentially a decision not to try. Yes. And a decision not to try is a habit. And we know, you and I know, habits can be formed, but they can be broken as well. Absolutely. And that, for me, when I, when I heard that and when I recognized that, it was cha- it changed the whole way I viewed myself when I doubted, because it's just a habit, a decision not to try. Mm-hmm. So how about I try instead?
0: Yes, that's that's really interesting. It's um, it's it's something that I intend to work into my own lifestyle, not just around alcohol, because I think this is a holistic way of look, you know, viewing. Your life and your development as a person—you know—it's not just about you. You can't necessarily, you, you don't, you shouldn't necessarily just think about this as I can attach this to the fact that I want to make a booze break. I think that's it's great if you can, and, and I certainly will. But I'll be using this in in different parts of my um, my life as well, especially when it comes to confidence. I, I like for the most part, I think of myself as quite a confident person um, in most situations the one place I'm not confident is when I'm, when there's a possibility that I'm going to look foolish. So this is your typical kind of dancing badly, karaoke, you know, um, getting up And my worst fear is getting up on stage somewhere and being made a fool of, you know, like, yeah, the holiday entertainment team when you're at these like um, all-inclusive hotels and you go and I'm like oh do we have to go uh, especially now I've got a daughter like she loves stuff like that she loves going to this like the, the the holiday discos and all that kind mm-hmm. of thing And I'm thinking oh, they're gonna make me do a dance battle with that other dad and, and I'm <laughs> bricking it and I hate <laughs> stuff like that but actually why not go for it no one cares it's only me that's got an issue with it the more I do it, the more I, you know, and the, that repetition, it's not a danger. It's going to be fun. If I'm made a fool of, who cares? I, you know, it's, it's not a big deal. And, yeah, uh, and this
1: might help you, actually. I, I read, I read, watched a YouTube video, well, it was a while ago now. And the the guy on there said, uh, we quit at
0: 40%. Okay.
1: Which means we leave 60% out on the table. And that's because our mind goes, eh. You sure you want to do this? Yeah. It knows as well, right? It's our mind. So it's going to say, nah, don't bother. Yeah. You've got this to do instead. Yeah, It's not sure. So, but when you think, oh, actually, that's my mind telling me to stop. I'm only at 40%. I've got 60 more, 60% more, sixty more to give. What can I do with this? Yeah. And then you go out there and you do that dance off and you absolutely kick his ass and you <laughs> you show him how to do it.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because
1: you're stepping into that 60%. You're not stopping at 40%. i am going
0: to bust out the worm next time I go on holiday. I'm there. <laughs> Um, amazing. That's super, super helpful, Scott. Thank you so much. I want to touch back on your relationship with alcohol again and, and the fact that you've, you've had this amazing experience of having a year without alcohol. What's been the most noticeable benefit of taking this leave of absence of alcohol, do you think?
1: I, I would say, for, for me, being able to go out and enjoy going out without it. Yes. So that was a, one thing that has been a real benefit to me I didn't feel like I could Mm -hmm. without piling loads of alcohol into myself to enjoy it not because I wasn't confident but just because I associated going out with that so not for having this period of not drinking alcohol it's definitely allowed me to one of the benefits is is literally just enjoying it as much as I can without alcohol actually enjoying the moment enjoying being with these people and then going home and not waking up not feeling like crap
0: yes and I guess to, to some extent, because you're more present, you're more mindful, you're aware of these kinds of things anyway, the absence of alcohol, you've got this clear, fresh mind, you know, you're able to socialize and be 100% involved. And I feel like that makes it more real. Would you agree with that? I feel like once you get to a stage in your life, and I do think it's your thirties, if I'm honest, um, just from my own point of view, where you become time poor, you realize all of a sudden in your thirties, you realize how short life is. I think in your twenties, you don't care. Um, And then you go, wow, I've got a child and you see them grow up maybe, Um, you know, it's super, super quick. life starts to slow down a little bit, you know, you're not doing as much, you know, in your twenties, you're like building up your career. you are gone through university, doing whatever, you know, going party and everything's new and your thirties, life starts to slow down a little bit and you're doing uh, almost like a routine, very similar things year on year for a lot of people and mm-hmm. you realize how little time you've got on in the planet. And you become, I become quite time poor in the fact that I've got a business I've got relationships. I've got my daughter. There's only so much I can do. So if I'm going to be going out and socializing with these friends, with these acquaintances, with these family members, I want to make sure that I'm 100% there and 100% committed to that. Because if I'm not, what's the point? You know, mm-hmm. I feel like it's just wasted time. Would you agree with that statement?
1: I I, I did for a very long time. I I thought actually that get to 30, crikey, time's going way too quick. Yeah. And then I thought about it like this, and you may have heard it before, but I mean, how old are you?
0: 31.
1: 30, 31. So you could literally do something completely different than what you're doing now. Yes. Pile all your energy into it, pile half your money, whatever it is, and four years you could do it for, Mm -hmm. bugger it up, wake up, and still only be 35.
0: Yes. That's a really nice way of thinking about it. Yeah, totally.
1: Yeah, because 35 is actually young Oh, totally. when you think of it like that so i i was very much oh i've got to do this this and this now I'm, I'm a bit i'm a bit slower with it but i'm also i go deep into what i'm doing and then realizing that i could pile my energy into something for 10 years or eight years i'll say eight years and then wake up and be 40 and what do they say life starts at 40 yeah. so i'm i'm quite content with with that
0: actually so I love that. In, 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 in that respect, to be fair, um, I think that's most of the reason why I am time poor is because I'm always taking on brand new projects, always doing new things like the podcast. Again, yeah. parenting's a new project for me. My, my life is so varied. And I think that's why I'm so time poor uh, in the fact that I haven't got a lot of spare time. And that's what, what I mean by time poor is I've got a lot of spare time to socialize um and to get involved with friendship groups and stuff like that so when i do i want to make sure that i'm 100% there and in it and not under the influence of of alcohol and kind of like hazy memories that and uh, and maybe a bit of a ruined night and maybe a bit of a ruined weekend as as a result of you know recovering from it
1: yeah it sounds like you've got that that clearly the drive is there and it's not that you it's just your, your priorities have changed, and your drive and your motivation is now on something so much bigger yeah. than potentially drinking alcohol.
0: And it sounds—I think it sounds a lot more intense than it is. It's not like i am on—I'm clock watching when I'm socializing. Like, right, come on, guys! <laughs> no, no, no! This is, I've got to make this worthwhile. So go. You know, it's more like you know, being able to like like you know, spending time with yourself now, and and um, you know, just for the fact that I'm thoroughly enjoying it, and and I chose to mm. do it, and I'm and I'm doing it without the the fog of last night's booze kind of wrecking the interview or whatever, mm. and being involved, and, and the fact that I you know don't drink anymore means that I can do another interview or whatever at some point today, crack on with the day, and be really productive. And make use of this time and, and, and actually take on these these extra projects and stuff i'm totally with you i'm changing my life on a monthly basis i would mm-hmm. say you know change, completely changing I, i'm always i'm definitely a project guy i love projects i love new things i love learning new stuff squeezing stuff in is is the challenge uh for me but uh but yeah and i'm always fantasizing about the next thing the next uh uh, yeah. next Maybe cross- it's
1: interesting, isn't it? The way that we think is that we haven't got much time, which I completely agree with you. it is It feels like as you get older, oh, you're running out of time. But on the flip side, actually, you could literally pile your energy into something, wake up and only be 35. And be like, okay, I've got plenty, yes. actually. I've got plenty of years left. It's a very weird one for me. I feel it's, mm. a, it's a bit of a conflict, but quite a nice conflict. I'm not, con- I'm not complaining.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, this is it. I, I think um, my big thing is not wasting time. Mm. That's, that's, that's the huge thing is, you know, I've got to the point now where like going for a pint at a pub and not speaking to anybody is a huge waste of time for me, you know, saying the same things. It's great to connect with people, but, you know, I think you can do it in a better way without alcohol and, and then, and then have that Sunday morning waking up at seven, eight o'clock, fresh faced, ready to hit the day hard um, is a great use mm. of time for me, and I think that's why I, I, I'm like I, I want to be able to to do that at all times, and and you know, th- and especially having my daughter and seeing that and being in the job that I'm, I'm in, which is family photography for the most part. I do all sorts of different kinds of photography and video production, but my day to day job is is family portraiture. And every parent that comes in will say how quickly the time goes. And they wish that it had been more present, uh, because and they wish they hadn't have wished for them to be the two the the terrible twos to be over because then it'll get easier. And 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 but actually what they what they what a lot of people you know say when their kids are like seven is God cherish every moment mm-hmm. um because before you know it, they don't want to be hanging around you or you miss the bits where they were super young and super cute and they were doing all these things and and so i think that goes back quite nicely to the fact that being present being in the moment being mindful uh is a is a really good place to be and a really wholesome place to yeah be. i love
1: that definitely
0: has this kind of new outlook i know you weren't a huge drinker anyway but do you think not drinking has opened the doors to other parts of your life uh you know any any new developments any any new really positive things purely as a result of the fact that you don't drink and you've got that time and you've got that motivation
1: yeah i totally it sh- it clearly showed me how capable i was and how driven i was to be able to make a change in my life something that for a lot mm-hmm. of people is what as we know you go you don't drink but it baffles them so that for me just showed me how driven I was, which affected a lot of my life because I thought, if I can do that, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. And it was just a very big switch for me. Um, I could Mm -hmm. deal with social pressures more so than I thought I could. Um, Yeah, I would say that it has pushed me to go further, which is strange, right? Because you might just say, oh, it's just alcohol, but it's the culture that we live in in many ways and overcoming that, having the drive and the motivation to carry on, the willpower just reinforces the fact that how capable I am. And that's not me being beheaded. That's just confident in my, what I do and who I am.
0: Absolutely. I think for a lot of people, alcohol is an ambition killer. I think you get great ideas when you're under the influence, but the next day, I think it becomes infinitely more difficult to put those ideas in place. Uh, because you're under the fog of can't be asked, mm. you know, um, that's, that was where I was at for, you know, a lot, a lot of the time. Uh, and if you're, and even if you're just like a bit of a social drinker, two, three nights a week, having a bit more alcohol than you should do on those particular nights, waking up the next day, you have some great ideas on the, on the sofa with your partner about what you want to do and all these great plans and the next day comes and you've either forgotten about them or you don't do anything about them because you are a bit fuzzy headed or you've got a bit of a hangover and that, you know, whereas, You know, now if I have an idea at nine o'clock at night, I'm putting it into action there and then because I'm sober, you know, I can, I can, I can get in the car and drive to work and put something in place there and then if I feel like I need Mm. to, which is a very cool place to be as far as I'm concerned, having that freedom, all of a sudden not drinking gives you freedom, which Mm. is, I never thought I would, it would be a thing, Mm -hmm. you you know, not very cool. Very, very cool. What's next for you? You got any, you got any um, big long-term goals and plans that you, that you want to be putting in place that you can share with us? Well, for, for me
1: personally, a big, big goal of mine is I want to deliver talks okay. to people with low confidence. I want to be able to help them with that and reach more people as much as I can. I'm online at the moment. I do lots of online work, but also locally. I do want to branch out. That is my ultimate goal, to be able to reach people in a workshop or Mm -hmm. talk environment. So that's that's my main goal.
0: You're skirting around TED Talk there, aren't you? TED Talk is definitely on the cards. Oh man, how cool would that be? I'd definitely go to a a Scott Hardiman TED Talk.
1: Yeah, I'd I'd love to do it. And that's definitely on the cards. It's just of pandemic kind of throws that out of whack at the moment,
0: doesn't it? It does. It yeah. does. I, I don't think you get the same effect. I think you need a audience to be able to do something like that. It sounds amazing. Um, yeah. and you're obviously the person to do it. Um, you know, if you can't coach yourself in, you know, the confidence and, uh, and things like that, actually, is that a good question? You know, knowing all of these processes, learning all of these processes and being able to share them with your clients, does that reinforce those messages to yourself as well? Because I imagine it's quite difficult to put these kinds of things in place if you're not held accountable by it. But if you're actually, you know, you have to walk the walk, I guess, in your line of work, don't you? Um, because if yeah. you're, you, um, you would know in your head, if you're, if you're telling someone, these are the things you need to put in place to be a more confident person. If you're not doing that yourself, I guess I would feel a bit more like a, um, I know, like I wasn't being honest.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've been through those big struggles. I've been through that anxiety, that serious low confidence for the majority of my life. So I have those processes in place. What I show other people, what I coach them in, are things that work not just for me, but for the people I've helped as well. And I need, of course I need to action those things. I mm. do have times, you know, this weekend just gone, I've I worked really, really hard. I worked myself a little bit too much. And something that would have knocked me for two weeks... Now will, not me for maybe half a day, I'll say, hey, Scott, well, hey, awareness, key, that's mm. well, the first thing I teach people, is awareness. You, you just need to turn it down a little bit here. And I do, and I action that. And if I'm feeling, oh, I need to put that out there, and that thought comes in and goes, oh, what if people don't like it? I'll go, yeah, all right. Is that helpful? No. Do I want to think it? No. Is it true? Of course not. And then I'll take action. And it's about having that. I'm, I'm very in tune with my mind now. And... By coaching other people, it reinforces that for sure. And I also have other coaches that I talk to which is super beneficial. Truly believe everyone should have a coach, even Mm -hmm. if it's just once a month or once every other week because a coach or someone you can be accountable to will just ask you this one question that will just trigger action. And we all want to make progress in life rather than just going around in this self-esteem loop of I'm going to get a new car, I'm going to get a new watch, that makes me feel better here and now. We want, we've want. we got an ideal vision of where we want to be. We get there by taking progress. And sometimes having that someone just to say, so what do you think you could do to get there? Changes someone's approach and they start taking action, they make that progress step, they take a step closer to where they want to get to.
0: It, 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 all, it, sounds, it all sounds amazing. It's all very relatable for sure. I think that the takeaway from that is I think everyone could... And should consider some sort of coach, mm. um, and that's you're not the first person that's ever said that to me, um, which makes me think. And you tend to, I tend to find that the people who are saying those kinds of things to me are very successful people in whatever um, term you, you deem success mm. in. Yeah, you know, whether that's career or the fact that they're you know they're happy. Mm, um, definitely. So it's something that I haven't. I haven't, like I say, I had a business coach for a long time, um, especially early on in my career. Um, but you know, I haven't really. Gone down that route, so I better practice, practice what I preach. The, 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 this podcast just be, just makes makes it my life just a lot more expensive, I think. <laughs> but it's t- it's t- it's totally worthwhile. Um, in in my mind, um, you know, it's something that I I should definitely put in place because I do a lot of stuff, and if I can do yeah. that in a better way, whether that be through my own self development or through the development of my business and, uh, and things, it's only going to make things better. Um, in that respect.
1: Exactly. And one of the things I say with everything that I, I coach people in, most of which is something that, you know, I, I ask them questions, they come up with it. And I'm kind of a, I'd say, a mix between a coach and a mentor where if I feel like I've got to say something, I'll say it. Um, but with, with coaching, people will benefit. And I say that try things. You don't have to try coaching. But if you hear a technique and you think that that might help you, actually try it. Because you'll never know if it works or not. If it doesn't work for you, great. There's plenty more out there. If it does work mm. for you, you've just found something that hits the spot and helps you reduce your anxiety in just a few seconds. But if you don't try it and you don't maybe give it three or four or five goes, you'll never know whether it works. And it's the same with coaching. Give it a shot. It might be right up your street. It might not be. But unless you try, you'll never know. Absolutely. And that's kind of motto.
0: Tap in that, into that extra 60% and give it a go. Yeah, I love it. One last bit of advice um, uh, for me, Scott, if, if you wouldn't mind, if you could give any piece of advice to anyone that's either looking to take a break from alcohol or somebody that's already in the thick of it, like I am, if you could give any piece of advice to someone who's lived, you know, uh, for uh, over a year without alcohol, what do you think it would be?
1: Yeah, I would. I would say if you wanted to take a booze break, then one of the best things to do is commit to others because the likelihood of you sticking to it will go up massively because you are not just committing to yourself, you're committing to other people. It's exactly what you've done here. You, in a sense, this podcast is a commitment to you, right? It's
0: very uh, selfish, yeah.
1: <laughs> but no, but it, it's exactly right. Commit, put it out there. Tell yeah. someone, that I'm not going to drink alcohol for a week, two weeks, three weeks, whatever that may be. And the, the likelihood of you doing it will shoot up. Absolutely. I, that's what I would, one bit of advice is do that for sure.
0: That's amazing advice. Accountability is, is the key, I think. Um, and if you're not comfortable sharing it with the world, share it with a few family members who really mean a lot to you that you can check in on, um, mm-hmm. especially if you're struggling, if you're really struggling. For mm-hmm. some people, a booze break is a really big step in their life and it can be quite a challenging step and it can be quite emotional. Um, for some people, it's it's just a case of a bit of a challenge, and all of the spectrum of that is fantastic. All, all of these people are going to benefit, but I think accountability is a great way of doing it. And uh, you're absolutely right; you've completely found me out there. that The podcast was purely a use of of accountability in the fact mm-hmm. that I can I I couldn't physically turn on this microphone, having known that mm-hmm. I'd had a couple of pints the night before. And I'm talking about all the benefits of living alcohol free, <laughs> but but then this is a booze break, you know. At some point during this podcast, I'm gonna I am gonna say, guys, I had a pint last night, mm-hmm. you know, and I'll be really honest about the fact that whether it, whether I enjoyed it, whether I didn't, I I might even purposefully experiment with the idea of drinking again, mm-hmm. and with the with the view of going back to going alcohol free who knows um but accountability is is a really really good point get out on social media um if you want to uh, which i see a lot and i really enjoy engaging with them is create an instagram account around your sobriety it can can, you know have your name on it it doesn't have to obviously i guess i guess if it's if you're going to be made accountable to it you probably should have something like your name on um and you know be creative with it as well you know create great memes create pictures take, take selfies of how amazing you feel on this particular day go on instagram live so i think that's a brilliant brilliant way to do it and then
1: mention your podcast as well when you're doing it yeah please
0: yeah 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 um, tag us in at Boost break podcast uh, <laughs> hashtag Boost break podcast hashtag daniel moore um <laughs> thank you so much scott Where, where's the best place for people to to find you and engage with what you're doing and perhaps even um uh you know inquire about having some coaching themselves
1: Cool. Yeah, I've got a couple of things uh, going on. So I, I have an eight-week coaching confidence coaching program, which is getting people really great results. It's, it's fairly new. Um, lots of systems that I've used in the past from myself personally, but also other people. So that's out there and you can you can find that out if you want to contact me. I've got a free three-step video series on eliminating negative self-talk and people can get that. So that's scotthardimancom forward slash video training. Amazing help yourself to it. And then you've got my website as well, scotthardymancoaching.com.
0: Fantastic. And for anyone that, that couldn't type quick enough, well, I always leave everything in the show notes. Uh, if you don't know what the show notes are, they are the little bit in, uh, you know, in, in your podcast player that you can click on and it tells you all the information. But to be honest with you, the best way to actually get these clickable links is to go over to boozebreakpodcast.com click on this episode and uh, which will be the Scott Hardiman episode and all of the information will be on there with links and a little uh, brief introduction into what this episode's about. So check it out over there. I'll leave links to everything uh, that Scott's um, putting out there in the ether. And uh, the last thing I want to say, Scott, is thank you so much for being on the show. I've really enjoyed speaking to you. Same, man.
1: It's been very good. Thank you so much. Thank you very much.
0: Take care. All right, that was Scott Hardiman, uh, a confidence coach and all around super nice guy. Uh, I hope you were able to take something from that episode. I especially like Scott's advice on tackling negative thought by asking yourself, is this helpful? Do I need to think it and is it true? Uh, And that's a technique that I think we can all use uh, in our lives to battle those negative thoughts that might pop up from time to time. I gelled so much with what Scott had to say that I've even taken him on as my own coach. So for the last couple of weeks, we've been working together and the results have been amazing. Together, we've changed my morning routine in which I wake up early, have breakfast, go to the gym, get my work done, all of this before my wife and daughter are even out of bed. He's made a huge difference to my productivity and mindset. So I personally can't recommend Scott enough. If you're interested in learning more about Scott's services, you can head over to scotthardimancoaching.com. That's Scott's, S C O T T H A R D I M A N coaching.com. I'll leave a link to his website as well as all the things that we've mentioned in the show notes uh, of the episode over on the Booze Break Podcast website, boozebreakpodcast.com. Uh, so definitely go check those out. For now, though, thank you so much for listening.